Good afternoon, and it's time for Noon Edition here on WFIU. I'm Adam Ragusia, sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg and Mary Catherine Carmichael. Uh, Bob is off somewhere in newspaper land, and Mary Catherine is actually up in Kokomo. So to our Kokomo listeners, if you see Mary Catherine driving around, uh, say hi for us. I'm here with uh, Gretchen Clearwater, who is running for the Democratic nomination to seek the 9th District Congressional seat. Gretchen, thank you for uh, braving the weather out there to be with us. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, We, as always, certainly invite audience participation. We hope to get uh, plenty of phone calls and emails today. The phone numbers to call are toll-free in the Bloomington area, 855-0811, or toll-free anywhere else, 877-285-9348. You can also send an email to noon at indiana.edu. Okay, Gretchen, uh, who are you and where did you come from? I'm Gretchen Clearwater and I'm from – basically I'm from Bloomington. I've lived here ever since I came uh, to go to undergraduate school in 1971. Um, I have lived – I grew up in uh, West Lafayette, part of my high school life. Mm -hmm. And then when I was was younger, I lived in Nigeria. My parents were missionaries. So I kind of consider myself from uh, to be from all over, all many from many places. We should go ahead and mention at the top of the program that WFIU had initially invited both yourself and uh, Congressman Baron Hill to come on the program for a debate, and we had uh, proposed the, East, the Easter congressional recess is a good time to do that when he would be back in the district, and uh, the congressman declined that invitation, and so what we decided to do was to go ahead and offer you the spot to come on the program in a solo appearance, and likewise, we've extended the same invitation to the congressman. And uh, we're hoping to at some point get him in here. We should say that he has been kind enough to come in and be on the program a couple of times before. But so that I think uh, lets our audience know what the background of this conversation is. And so we're going to talk about you and we're going to talk about the issues of your campaign and why you're running and anything else that's uh, going on in the 9th District or anything else that any of our listeners would like to talk about. Uh, Gretchen, what are the primary components of your campaign platform? Well, there are three. Uh, One of them is I think we need to safeguard our civil liberties. I think this administration has just decimated um, our civil uh, liberties by, you know, um, allowing wiretapping and that sort of thing. Our constitution has been just um, um, torn to shreds. The second thing that I'm – and I think that we have to safeguard the Bill of Rights, the things that – the very foundation of this country I think is, is – um, we're in jeopardy of losing it. The second uh, aspect of my campaign is about the war. I ran in 2006 based uh, – the, the thing that got me to run in the first place was when Abu Ghraib happened. Mm-hmm. I was just so astonished that my government would have any part in what had happened in that prison. And it made me rise up and think that as an average citizen, I can do something about it and not only can I do something, that I had to do something about it. So, Well, let's talk about that run in 2006. You, you got a not insignificant portion of the primary vote. How much did you earn? We got 17 percent. And it was – what's astonishing about that vote was that we only raised about $20,000. And so I, I was very surprised. I didn't expect to get near that um, amount of money nor near that number of votes. But what I learned was that people were upset and frustrated with Congress in general and um, they kind of reflected how I felt. Well, let me ask you, why, why try to challenge uh, uh, Congressman Hill for the Democratic nomination? Why not make an independent run? Or I've looked at your platform. It seems quite consistent with the platform of the Green Party. Why not make a Green Party run? Uh, why the primary? Well, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm not a Green Party person. Um, so I should rightfully run on as a Democrat. Um, and that's a, that's the simple answer. I'm not green. <laughs> My platform is very, as you say, very you know greenish. But um, I think a lot of uh, Ninth Districters are, share my my values. Let's go ahead and define the Ninth District for those people in the audience who aren't geeks like me. Um, and the Ninth District essentially is uh, about the western three quarters of Monroe County, including Blo- the city of Bloomington. Extends over into Brown County, uh, the southern portion of Bartholomew, and it encompasses all of Columbus proper. Not all of it. Not all just of it. Part of it. Just part of it. 
and then just goes across a lot of rural areas that are the southeastern corner of the state and extends down to the other major population center of the district, which is the Indiana suburbs of Louisville. It's a very large and a very diverse district. How do you campaign in it? Well, it's it's hard, um, but it's actually one of the. I love campaigning in it because it's one of the most beautiful districts of the ninth district of the of Indiana. And the way that we get out, we're we are planning all sorts of events to get out. We're going to have a, a touring um, musician band uh, attached to it, you know, you know, with a truck and mm-hmm. just go around meeting people. That's what we're planning to do coming soon. Um, and you know, you establish friends. You go out and meet people. You attend the ninth district meetings. You um, we're having radio ads that will go out. So that's how you go out to as many as you possibly can. What's the size of your organization? We have, uh, let me see, about 15 people on our staff that do all sorts of things. Uh, you know, our campaign manager is Tamara DiPolito. But then we have graphics artists, people who write, people who um, are in charge of uh, press. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty – they're all volunteer excepting for the campaign manager. And are you still working full-time as you're doing this? I am. And that's what and you makes, work for Indiana University? I work for Indiana University. I'm the advisor for graduate students in the biology department. So it's a full-time job. I go from uh, work full-time to um, campaign full-time at night. So they're long days and long weekends, but they're fun. And so do you have a specific goal for this time around with the primary? Are you trying to chip away at that portion of the vote or is it more about uh, just raising the issues that are important to you? My goal is to win. It's, it's as simple as that. I think I would be a great congressperson. I think I would be – I would represent this district admirably. I mean no, I shouldn't toot my own horn like that. Well, that's what I've, campaigning is all about. That is. Uh, you know, as I say, you know, we're all Democrats. You asked a question earlier, why am I running as a, a Democrat? We're all Democrats, but we're not all the same kind of Democrats. And so I represent the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And of course, Baron Hill self-identifies as this new term, blue dog Democrat. Right, right. And, and one could argue that uh, – that the viability in a general election of a Democrat who doesn't identify as a blue dog Democrat or whatever else you want to call a more centrist or moderate Democrat would, would be in question given that the Ninth District is one of the just you know less than 1 percent of districts across the entire United States that hasn't been gerrymandered to, to death. Um, how, do, how do you appeal to the, the, the very diverse group of, of uh, demographics that are encompassed in this district? Well, first of all, I don't think you can lump all ninth districters into one category. Uh, you, they have. Uh, we're all smart. We all care about the same issues. We all care about our jobs. We care about the environment. We care about our future. We care about energy issues. We care about the war. Um, these are all issues that every single person in the ninth district cares about, and those are all issues that I address. We're speaking with uh, Gretchen Clearwater. She's running for the, Dem- the Democratic nomination to, for the uh, 9th District Congressional seat here in Indiana. And the phone numbers to call to join the conversation are 855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-9348. You can also send an email to noon at indiana.edu. So, Gretchen, obviously uh, ending the war in Iraq is, was a big part of your campaign platform in 2006. It is part of that campaign platform again this year. What – I think – I feel like 2007 was the year in which to categorize oneself as pro or anti-war became so simplistic as to be something of a non-statement. What kind of withdrawal from Iraq do you advocate? I think that we need to uh, start the process of withdrawing immediately. I don't think we should just overnight pull everybody out. But if we don't start the process today, it's never going to happen. And so I think um, it is a non-plus issue on some – you mentioned that people aren't as as engaged in it. That's not really true. People, it's always on the back of people's minds. It's always on the back of, you know, um, I spoke to a gentleman down in Paoli, Indiana, um, and he was, I was telling him that a lot of people think that the 9th District doesn't care about the war. I was in a restaurant with him, and he got up out of his seat and across the room, went clear across the room, and he said, 
are you kidding me? We give our sons and daughters to this war. And he was so angry at that, you know, that, that we would have this notion that we don't care. But especially in light of the last two years, do you think that the, inst- the institution of Congress or the institution of the House of Representatives for which you're running uh, has the power to make the kind of change you're talking about? We absolutely do have the power and that power, power is a purse string. And all so in your mind, take, it's been a lack of will. It's been a lack of will and that's one of the reasons I'm running. We sent people to Congress to end this war and it didn't happen. You know, we can't afford to keep this war going on and on and on indefinitely. And Congress has absolute power. They could stop it today if they wanted to. So what would you do as a freshman congressman to make that happen? Well, obviously, I'm going to have to work with other people in Congress. I'm going to align myself with other progressives in Congress and make that voice stronger. And I think that that, that, will, that can only help this process out. The other thing that I wanna, would like to do when I get to Congress is become much more active with the community out in the 9th District. And I want to explain to people why, for example, uh, why this – or not explain to them why, but explain to them uh, – talk to them about the war. And I want to talk to them about our energy crisis and I'm going to talk to them about – um, our environmental problems. I want to be, become a leader and inform people about what this, the decisions that we have to make in Congress today. And I think that's what's lacking in Congress right now. There's not enough reaching out to people to say, you know, this is what absolutely has to be done for the future, for our future. How do you do that when you're in Washington? You write letters. And you send letters. Now, I know that um, you can use the tool of email and it reaches people who have email, but that does not reach my neighbor, uh, Margaret, who's 81 years old, who doesn't have a computer in her home. So I, it is up to me as a leader in Washington to say, you know what, we have a serious problem with our energy situation. We have to resolve this. And this is what I propose that we do. We've had a caller call in who uh, just wanted to gently remind me that uh, I had asked you for your your primary campaign platform points and you said that you had three and I cut you off after two. <laughs> you did, yes. So <laughs> let's go ahead and have that third one. Well, the, the, the third one, you know, you mentioned – I mentioned the war. One of the reasons that it's so important to end the war and change our foreign policy is that we are now $3 trillion in debt because of this war and, the, and rising. And because of that, we're not able to address the issues that we have locally like job losses, like education, like um, uh, the health care crisis that we have right now. And so I think that we need to uh, reprioritize and say this is really what we care about for this ninth district, for the, for the state of Indiana, for the country. And so that, you know, shifting our priorities is, is the second thing. The third is that we have to really genuinely care about future generations. And that has – and by doing so, uh, we have to seriously change our energy prob- – our, you know, solve our energy crisis and look at the environmental crisis and because these are, these are things that are going to impact, impact generations to come, many, many generations. Gretchen Clearwater is the guest here on WFIU's Noon Edition. I'm Adam Ragusia sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg and Mary Catherine Carmichael. And the phone numbers to call to join the conversation are 855-0811. That's the local call in the Bloomington area. Anywhere else in the 9th District or anywhere else for that matter, 877-285-9348. Send an email to noon at indiana.edu. Now, Gretchen, you say that you are for universal socialized medicine. I did not what? say I'm that. I'm sorry. Did I did you not you say that? I did not Apologies. say that. Apologies. Go ahead and characterize your position on this point. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I've got I've got your uh, I've got your uh, your campaign website in front of me, and I, think I have never right. ever used the word socialized. socialized. What's the distinction in your mind? It's a single payer. There's a distinction. So what I'm really happy about is that we now have two presidential candidates and even on the on John McCain is talking about the health care crisis that we have. So um, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton both have universal health care plans that I think are a good start. That's a direction that we could maybe – that it's good to have this issue on the table. But I've been doing a little bit of study about the single-payer health care plan, which is not a socialized 
Um, well, it depends on who, who who that single payer is. Exactly. And it could be a combination of uh, business and government. So there's all kinds of ways that a single payer plan can be funded. Um, Would you be I, opposed to it being a socialized institution that is entirely government? Um, no, but, you know, I think it's – I think um, government um, – no, I, you know, I'm not opposed to a policeman. I'm not opposed to education. I'm we, not we opposed to We certainly do have a lot of, of socialized institutions and that we all seem to enjoy. And those are all socialized, exactly. But I think the minute you mention the word socialized, everybody thinks you're a communist and you're, you're you know, and the, that is another thing that a congressperson can talk about. You can say, let's really talk about why are we the only industrialized nation in the world that doesn't have a health care plan for its people? Linda from Bloomington wants to join the conversation about health insurance. Linda, are you there? Yes, hello. What's uh, your comment? Hello, Gretchen. Hello. I would uh, like to first start out by saying that I'm a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for 28 years. Uh, years ago, I worked in the ER and ICU, CCU, CVICU, and, you know, literally, literally, I'm not exaggerating, you know, save patients' lives with my own hands. And I'm in a situation today where I've worked in uh, the last few years, the last five years, I've worked in doctor's offices where I don't have health care insurance. Uh, I don't make much money. I can't afford insurance. The, the, I've checked into this. The cost is just outrageous. I have health problems, and I know... You know, if I went and uh, had them taken care of, I'd probably be bankrupted and lose my house. And, uh, I, you know, I've seen the crisis we're in in the healthcare system. is just incredible. You know, on the ground level, as a nurse, I've seen this crisis. And uh, not just for myself, but for many of my patients and, you know, who I empathize with. And I always say, you know, I don't have health insurance either. You know, I totally understand. Don't feel bad. I mean, feel bad, but <laughs> I know you feel bad, but don't feel like you're the only one out there. And uh, this just impacts our whole country in, you know, in an incredible way. And, you know, I'm definitely for a single-payer health care plan like Canada or Europe. And um, I, I'm, I definitely want price limits put on the drug companies. I think that is an absolute crisis. I have to get my, my medicines from either... Canada or now India, and uh, I've done a lot of research on that. And um, I'd just like to hear, you know, more about what Gretchen thinks about about this. And I think that my situation, although I feel like everyone deserves health insurance, I feel like my situation, being a registered nurse and not having access to health care, uh, for me, after I've taken care of so many people in my life, you know, really profoundly speaks to the the incredible crisis we're in. The depth of the crisis we're in in this country that now I can't get health care. Thank you. Yes, Linda, I'm very glad that you called because um, I know so many people who are in your same position. My own daughter is in that position. She has had to wait for weeks to get into a clinic to go uh, to get help because she does not have insurance. When she did have insurance, she paid a third of her salary what went toward her insurance. So it is a crisis. And um, in Indiana, for example, over half of the bankruptcies that occur are due to health care expenses. Um, and I, I think it's a shameful thing that we haven't addressed this issue. You are a nurse doesn't have that. That is a pathetic statement. That's, That's pathetic. absolutely pathetic. And it's very humiliating. Yes, to say the least. And, and you uh, have a voice to be speaking about this now, but there are th hundreds of thousands of people Forty-seven million Americans do not have health insurance, so you're not alone. And I think I am. Uh, that is why I'm so so happy to be talking about this plan. I'm not even wedded to a single payer. I just want some sort of plan that covers people like you. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, 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 the, and I encourage you to use the bully pulpit and educate people about. That's that's issue. what I'm doing. Um, I have. Uh, I work on the campus. I work with graduate students who have to go home to their homelands to get medical care because they can't get the coverage here. Uh, so it's, it, this is just not right and it's not necessary. And I really appreciate you, you calling. Okay, thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for the call, Linda, and, okay. and best of luck. Sorry, that was a sobering phone call. Um, <laughs> we have uh, a couple other callers on the line with uh, other topics that they want to get to, but I want to make sure that we fully explore uh, health care a little bit before we, we move on. Um, and... 
obviously, uh, you know, what Jefferson used to call the – Thomas Jefferson, that is, called the laboratory of the states has been at work to a certain extent on the issue of health care and most recently in Indiana with the passage of the Healthy Indiana Plan. Uh, how would you assess that plan and do you think that that's a, a step in the right direction? Do you think that maybe this could be addressed by the states? I, I think it could be addressed by the states in another way. There's another person named Rob Stone who has the Hoosiers for Common, Sel- common Sense Health Care. He's advocating a single-payer plan for the state mm-hmm. and I have backed his plan. Uh, the, the plan that Mitch uh, Daniels has come forward with only covers a certain portion. He's limited it to a number of people uh, or a certain small number of people. So it's not a good start. I think that we should just shoot for the single-payer plan. I think it's ultimately the best way to go. The thing that I like about the single-payer single payer plan the most is, is that it, it, makes, it makes it possible for employees to be mobile. So they can go from job to job to job and they don't have to stay in an underpaid job or a job that is hazardous to their health or they just want to move to another location. When they move, they take that health care insurance with them. And that is the beauty of the plan. It also takes a burden off of businesses, especially small businesses that, you know, can they can pay, you know, and we have to decide how we're going to pay for this. But if some of the costs can be taken off of businesses, it would be a very good thing for our econo- for our economy. Of course, like it or not, you know, uh, the economy of the state of Indiana is enriched to a great extent by the current health care establishment with the presence of WellPoint and, and Eli Lilly. Does that at all impact your, your thinking on this? No, because Eli Lilly, um, you know, we are enriched by them, but they are also enriched by us. You know, they get a lot of money. These pharmaceutical companies get a lot of our tax money and a lot of it goes to advertisements. You know, we're paying for for such things like, uh, you know, advertising for strange diseases that none of us have ever heard of. Um, so, you know, it's it's a partnership business. You know, the pharmaceutical companies and the government and the people can be – we can be partners on this. But, you know, when they, these pharmaceutical companies also limit the um, ki- the kinds of drugs that we get that when we, and they determine how much we pay for them. We've got a caller on the line who really wants to talk about <clears throat> Baron Hill. But I'm going to ask him just to wait a little bit longer because we have Jesse from Bloomington who wants to talk about health care. So while we're on that topic, let's go to Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hello. Hi, Jesse. Are you with us? Oh, I guess we lost Jesse. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, hi, hi. Jesse, there I you are. I was just reading an article not long ago about perks in high places. And the best deal, I don't know why the people running for um, office, the politicians presently and anyone, pattern after Congress. They have a Cadillac plan. Uh, they only pay a $250 deductible. covers everything. They can't be rejected for any reason, age. Uh, most of them make $165,000 a year salary, retire at 53000 um, and for less than a thousand a year, they have access to anything and all things paid. So I think it would be grand just to study the uh, what's going on in Congress, and also to make employees across country responsible for medical care. So they, they have to have uh, some uh, concern about. Their I'm sorry, Jesse. Did you say employers across the country should be responsible for medical care? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was the way it was when I worked in medicine 40 years ago. Employers, um, everyone, usually, well, not everyone, but most people, I would say at that time, be back in the 50s, 60s, uh, were covered by some type of employee. Uh, employer's insurance. Well, that's distinguished from what uh, Gretchen is uh, is advocating with a single-payer system, correct? Yes, and I think what we're, what companies are having a hard time dealing with now is a high cost of insurance for their employees. And so I think if we could come up with some sort of a relief for them, um, it would make them, uh, it, it would help. I think it would help a, a great deal. Well, the thing is the socialized medicine has not been uh, the phenomenal success that, that uh, is touted because England, Canada, uh, I think New Zealand are all having tremendous problems with yeah. their medical services. So it, it needs to be looked at in depth. Um, I, I agree with you, Jesse. It absolutely does have to be looked at in depth, and we should take pick the best part about the Canadian system and the best parts of the the English or the French systems or any other system and examine them closely and decide what 
we want to pick from them. That's part of the reason I'm running, because I think as Congress, you know, I, we have to, to have a vision of what we want. And before we can have the, have the vision, we have to study it. But I don't think we can wait 20 years to study this anymore. Um, the system that we have here is flawed. I, like I said earlier, my daughter is without health insurance. She's been waiting for three weeks to get into a clinic, and that's too long. So, you know, I, I think that we immediately have to address this. Well, they need more doctors, more, more nurses. Exactly. Uh, that, it has to be addressed. I mean, it's, a, it's just it's not one thing that you can point your finger at. Absolutely. It's been a snowballing. Absolutely. Sure. And the other, uh, the other comment that you made about um, Congress has a really nice little system of health insurance. Wouldn't we all like to have that? Um, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? Thanks so much thank for you. the call, Jesse. We well, appreciate that. Well, and the taxpayers paying for it too. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, who are just waiting patiently on the line, and uh, we'd like to hope that they will continue to wait patiently. We have reached halftime in the show. We're speaking with Gretchen Clearwater, who's a Democrat running for Congress in the Ninth District of Indiana, here on WFIU's Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. Indiana's Governor Mitch Daniels has proclaimed this week Severe Weather Preparedness Week in Indiana. This evening, Severe Weather Spotter Training. The National Weather Service's Dr. David Tuchek presents Storm Spotter Training. It's a chance to learn what generates severe weather, how warnings are produced, and the role of the volunteer spotter. And that takes place this evening at Wegg Miller Auditorium at Bloomington Hospital at 7 o'clock. More at WFIU.org. And we're back. This is WFIU's Noon Edition. I'm Adam Ragusea, sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg and Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we're delighted to have in the studio with us Gretchen Clearwater, who's running for Congress as a Democrat in the 9th District of Indiana. And we've had just tons of callers waiting patiently on the line. So let's go to one. Randy from Bloomington wants to know where you disagree with Baron Hill. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, my question's pretty basic. I just would like to know what positions and votes... Baron Hill's taken, especially over the last two years, that you would disagree with. And I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for waiting, Randy. Thank you, Randy. Um, I actually, I like, I'm going to start this conversation off with you, Randy. I like Baron Hill and I respect what he has done thus far on so many levels. Where he and I differ, I think, are, uh, is a sense of urgency. Uh, a bill that was recently passed um, about energy and raising the uh, number of miles per gallon. The Hilltary Cafe standards. The, yes, exactly right. That bill is a wonderful bill, excepting it takes place 20, 12 to 20 years from now, and I don't think we have the time. So while it's a good start, I think there, this is a matter of urgency. I think that we have to do better than that. Um, where we differ on is on the uh, issue of the war, obviously. This was an older bill that he voted for. He voted to take us into war. That's not something I would have done had I been there. I would have voted against that. Um, the uh, FISA laws have been uh, seriously uh, jeopardized by the uh, Protect America Act that he voted for. I would not have voted for that one either. Um, so we differ on, on those things. My sense about him is that we agree on many issues, on the issues of environment and the issues of even on energy. But we have some differences there. Uh, I heard him say recently he was talking about uh, the use of clean coal. 
I don't necessarily believe, uh, agree with him on that. I think that we need to be investing in alternative energy so- uh, sources, uh, wind and solar, um, instead of going back to those old failed policies that we've used in the past. So we, we differ, I think, on the sense of urgency about things. Well, of course, you know, the congressman had argued publicly uh, or at least through his uh, spokespeople over the course of the summer when the, energy, when the House energy bill was getting hammered out, saying that uh, especially in contrast to the CAFE standards that had been put forth by Representative Markey of Massachusetts, I think, um, uh, which were much more aggressive uh, emission standards for automobiles. And he was simply arguing that the, this was what was viable and that uh, nothing, nothing that could – nothing more aggressive could possibly be passed by Congress and signed by the president. Well, I, I think you have to raise the expectations. You, you have to say it may not be viable, but let's not pass it if it's not going to be strong enough. Hmm. I think that's what – that's the thing. I'm actually – I'm so tired of just settling for the viable – we have to be much um, more aggressive about solving these problems. And that's, you know, I think that's that's a lot of people talk about my campaign is not viable. You know, <laughs> when are we going to get over that? I, I just think it's crazy. We have a caller on the line who wants to uh, talk about uh, talk about the history of folks who have represented the ninth District. Well, uh, well, uh, caller, are you there with us? Oh, I think we've lost the caller. But the caller's question was, uh, was has, has, there, has a woman ever represented the 9th District? We have never in the history of Indiana in this district had a woman or a minority person in this office. So you'd be the first. I would be the first. What do you think that says about the district, if anything? <laughs> well, it says it's time. It's time for a woman or a minority to be in that position. Um, and I think that uh, I think they're ready. I think uh, I think the district is very excited about both candidates, uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, and uh, so I think they're ready for a woman, and they're ready for a, you know a minority candidate as well. Well, you invoked the two names. Uh, are you behind one candidate or the other? I am. And that I, is. I, I I know I'm not supposed to be, but I am. I support Barack Obama. Um, I love the. Uh, one of the one of my platforms is uh, democracy. When I get to Congress, I would like to promote democracy like it's never been promoted before. Um, I think I'm very concerned that so many Americans don't vote. You mentioned uh, earlier before this program started that young people aren't they don't vote. They're down in Florida. That's not, <laughs> you know, it's it's not true. And I think that you have to get people excited and I'm thrilled with what Barack Obama is doing is he's bringing people to the poll that don't normally get there and that makes me very happy. Of course, it seems that one of the one of the substantive differences between the two candidates and their policy positions is over their unique health care plans. Uh, are there points of Barack Obama's health care plan that are more attractive to you? Yes. And those um, are? And the Barack Obama's plan – the problem with both of their plans is that they rely on health insurance companies to solve these problems. Um, from what I've studied, I, I attended a lecture with uh, with Rob Stone for the Hoosiers for Common, Self, Common Sense Healthcare. The pro- with with Obama's plan, he says uh, that you know if your children have to be covered, but not necessarily you. So you have the option of buying into this insurance. Hillary says you've got to buy it no matter what and it's you buying the insurance, not the government buying the insurance. And what that does is who does that make richer? It makes the insurance companies richer and it's not – you know, it's again benefiting the wrong people. So do you think that the entire private health insurance infrastructure needs to be torn down and, and the slate wiped clean? I, I don't I don't think it has to be torn down but I think it has to be regulated somehow and it has to go – um, yes, <laughs> I'm going to change. I think the the health insurance plan is is not working. Uh, it it determines which doctor you go to. It determines the kind of medications you get. It determines the kind of surgeries you get. They instead of the doctors determining that are they are the ones determining that. So some modification, you know, obviously you've got to have some sort of coverage somehow for a catastrophic 
bad things that happen. But, you know, I think some modification has to happen. 855-0811 is the local call in the Bloomington area, toll-free anywhere else, 877-285-9348, or an email to noon at indiana.edu. We'd love to hear from some of the other cities in the 9th District. If you're calling from Columbus or from Seymour or what other – who else can we name drop? New Albany, Jeffersonville. French Lake West Baden? French Lake West Baden, yeah. yeah. Uh, to speak with Gretchen Clearwater who's running for Congress as a Democrat in the 9th District. Here's an email from Melody in Bloomington. Uh, she says, my main concern at this time is our out-of-control dependence on foreign oil. What will you do to convince our government and citizens to break our habits which create our need? And need is in quotation marks. Oil seems to be the root of all evil and our current administration seems to feed off this. Well, that's a large topic but – um, I was talking to somebody recently about the situation in Iraq and in, in Afghanistan um, and just in general about our foreign policy in other countries, how we tend to get involved in countries and with leaders who are not necessarily the nicest people in the world. And I was trying to figure out why we do that and it has everything to do with dependence on energy. Um, on, on oil coming from these countries. That's why we become friends with Saddam Hussein. He's got oil. And so I think the best way um, to address our crisis is to address it, to address the um, alternative, using, um, to invest in alternative energy sources. Um, and and I, I wanted to hear more of Melody's question because I didn't quite. Oh, that was, all, I'm sorry. Yeah. Give me a do you mean to reread it or that's just, all there just, was? Yeah. I mean basically we have a crisis. We need to fix it. And until we fix it, we're always going to be in bed with bad guys like Saddam Hussein. How do you feel about nuclear power? I am opposed to nuclear power. I don't think we have a mechanism of getting rid of the waste. Um, it needs to be studied more. If someone can prove to me that we have a way uh, to dispose of these very, very toxic waste that is going to sit around for generations and generations and generations – we need not to touch that form of energy. Now, I hate to bring it back to this, but there are, of course, there are 435 voting members of the House of Representatives, just one House of the Congress, which is just one of the three branches of federal government. How do you, as a freshman member of that institution, affect the kind of age on, change on these fundamental, incredibly fundamental issues that we're talking about? I, you know, you are talking about a very diverse body of people in Washington, D.C., but I don't work for them. I work for the Ninth District. So if there is an issue that they are not going to agree with me on, I'm going to take it to the Ninth District and I'm going to have the Ninth District take it back to them. That's, that's how it has to work. I think, you know, someone once told me that I was a dangerous candidate, that uh, that, they, that the Democratic Party doesn't like me running. And I asked them why and they said, because when you get to Congress, Gretchen, you're not going to vote the way Nancy Pelosi tells you to vote. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm an independent thinker and I will vote the way I feel. And if my bill doesn't pass, it doesn't pass. If I don't get reelected, I don't get reelected. But at least I have done what is right for the people of this district. Obviously, we're looking forward to the primary election at this point, which is May 6th, where you will face uh, uh, incumbent Congressman Hill. And let's go ahead and look past that a little bit. How do you, how do you, run, against, uh, how do you run against Mike Sodrell if you win the primary? I run against Mike Sodrell the, the same way I'm running against Baron Hill. I, I, I persevere and I work hard. Um, I plan to take some time off of work so that I can actually have more time to get out into the district. I um, – I think Mike Sodrell runs against himself. You know, he's got his good buddy in Washington, D.C., is George Bush. He has backed every single thing that George Bush has, has proposed. Um, how do you ask – you know, he's responsible in part for the job loss from NAFTA and CAFTA. He voted for the, the, the free trade agreements. So I don't have to run against him. He runs against himself and I think people are awfully, awfully tired about what's going on in Washington, D.C. One of the components of your, of your platform has been, especially this year, voter enfranchisement. Where, where do you feel that voters have been, uh, have been, have been getting disenfranchised? Um, after the 2000 election, of course, we know what happened in, in Florida. 
in 2004, um, I did some studying about what happened in Ohio. The disenfranchisement occurred in areas where really dense populations had too few voting machines and they couldn't possibly get to the poll to vote because there just were not enough machines. Um, Kenneth Blackwell from Ohio was turning away registration forms that people had turned in because they weren't on the right card stock paper. So anybody who turned in a piece of paper that was photocopied onto a regular piece of paper didn't have their vote count. Um, in some of the areas in Ohio, the precincts were so poorly designed. They were in one gymnasium. Uh, one side was precinct one and the other side was precinct two. People stood in line for hours and hours to get there to vote, only to be told in that, that they were in the wrong line. And instead of letting them just switch over right next door, right beside each other, they made them go back and stand in line hours and hours and hours. This plays into things that are happening in Indiana right now. And let me ask what you feel about three distinct proposals, and those are vote centers, vote by mail, and Indiana's voter ID law. Um, and I want to also talk about the voting machines that we use here in Monroe sure. County. They are electronic voting machines. When you put your vote on that machine, there is no way that you can tally that vote up again. It has no, there is no record of it. So I understand that there are efforts being made now to get rid of those electronic voting machines because they are not accurate or if they are accurate, there's no way of proving they're accurate. I think voting centers are a pretty good idea provided that the center is accessible and people can get to it and if, if it's too far away, it might not work. Um, voting by mail I think is a great idea. Um, they use that out in, I think it's Oregon or Washington, one mm. of those two states, Oregon. and I think it's Oregon. And I think it's, uh, I, I, I think it's great. You know, why not be able to just put your, your ballot in the mail? I think it's a very, very good idea. I'd be a little bit nervous about it getting lost in the mail. I'd probably hand deliver it. But um, I think it's anything that we can do to make voting easier I think is a good thing. We have a flood of emails and uh, only about 10 more minutes left in the show, so let's go ahead and get to them. Here's an email from Chuck. It says, today on the show, we're hearing a lot of complaints about the current health care situation. How do you propose to pay for universal health care? I, I think that it's, we're going to have to make a decision as a nation that we're going to pay for it. And it's going to have to come out, I think, ultimately in the end. Um, I don't like the, um, the health care um, paying through the insurance kind of thing. So I think ultimately what I would like to see is a proposal where a portion of our uh, money that we earn is taken out and goes into the single-payer plan. Here's an email from Colin. It says, I'm a lifelong Bloomington resident and I wondered what Miss Clearwater's position was on the new I-69 highway and if she is for it, uh, how can she – and if she is for it, how can she reconcile that position with her greener ideals as a Democrat? I am against I-69. I, I think that this is an example of, uh, of, of a proposal that is outdated and uh, – antiquated and instead of building highways, we ought to be building trains, high-speed rail trains. That's where the money should go. Um, we don't need yet another highway for yet more cars, for yet more pollution. For, and then now we're having, you know, the prices of gas go up. It's just, it is, it's short-sighted. You know, talk about the future. There's our chance to really make a change, to make, put, our, put Indiana on the map. But you're running for a federal office, so let's say that you're in the House of Representatives. Would you therefore be disinclined from voting in favor of any federal highway appropriations? Uh, I think you, I, what I would like to see is the repair of, of existing highways and existing bridges. I don't think that we should be building more highways. Here's a general question from Christie. It says, what would you do to reduce poverty? Well, to reduce poverty, I think we need to do something about education. I think that is what causes poverty is people just aren't getting a proper education. And so I think we need to get rid of the no, Leave No Child Behind Act. Leave Every Child Behind Act is what it could be also called. Um, I think that um, our schools are still not good. We still have too many kids in the classroom. We still have too few teachers and I think education is the key to solving our poverty problems. 
and also I think um, is recognizing that we do have poverty in this country. I think it, until we start recognizing uh, the high level of uh, joblessness or, or homelessness, it's, it's a big problem. I think we have to recognize it and we have to care about it. Let's uh, let's talk about the state. Uh, I got you to uh, I got you to tell me which uh, uh, which horse you were backing in the presidential race, at least the Democratic primary for the presidential race. What about the Democratic primary for the gubernatorial race? Do you have a dog in that fight? I don't have a dog in that fight. Um, I uh, <clears throat> I'm disappointed by Joe Long Thompson's stance on I sixty nine. I don't. I'm not thrilled with her. Um, uh, stance on uh, the coal coal industry or coal business, the Edwards port. But I find uh, her to be an, a very intelligent um, in, individual and I think um, I, um, I don't really have a strong horse in that. Well, feelings on Jim Schellinger? I've had one opportunity to meet him and um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I haven't really had a. The answer can be no on the show sometimes. That's yeah, okay. I, I, you know, I'm not. I don't have a horse, uh, and, and I'm. I think um, I do wish either candidate would take a stronger stance on environment and on energy issues. I do wish that it's time. It's time. It's time to do that. But I guess I wonder if Indiana, if the, the general populace is in agreement with you on this. And we have seen some interesting political movement in Indiana in the recent years with uh, uh, three seats switching to – three congressional seats switching to Democratic control in 2006. Uh, what direction do you think that Hoosiers are moving ideologically? I think Hoosiers are uh, – Seeking some, I don't know if it's a direction, but from, my sense is from talking to people is that Hoosiers are some of the most commonsensical people. They they don't mess around. They well, with a name like Hoosiers, yeah, <laughs> you know we, you know I think what they recognize it's it's not about politics, it's not about directions, it's it's about jobs. You know they're losing jobs out here. And, and so I think the direction that they would like to see us go is, is get something done in Congress for heaven's sakes. And so I think that's the direction that they want to go in. We have just uh, five minutes or so left in the program here. We're speaking with Gretchen Clearwater here on WFIU's Noon Edition. She's running as a Democrat for Congress in the 9th District of Indiana. We do have time for another phone call if anyone would like to chime in, 855-0811 or toll-free 877 877- Two eight five nine three four eight. You can also send an email to noon at indiana.edu. And here's a question from someone who just wants to know how to get in touch with you in the future, your campaign uh, website and your phone number. That's a good question. My, uh, my name is Gretchen Clearwater and I'm running for Congress in the 9th District. My website is www.clearwaterforcongress.com. You can email me at gretchen at clearwaterforcongress.com. We also have a, a forum on Bloomington Online um, that you can ask me any kind of questions you want. Um, let's see. Um, that's it. And, and I'm on that website right now, Clearwater for Congress, and you have a feature on the left-hand side of the page which uh, is called Legislation Watch. And here you're talking about how uh, a, a particular piece of legislation you'd like to highlight is H.R. 1590, which is the Safe Climate Act of, of right. 07. What is that act? That act is put out by Henry Waxman and it, it also is not as strong as I would like it to be, but it also it says that certain, by a certain time we, we have to um, – uh, um, curb the greenhouse uh, gases and by a certain time we have to raise the cafe standards by a certain time we have to revert we have to go using switch from using the traditional mechanisms of energy to alternative so but it sets a deadline and a timeline and it's a pretty strict strict legislation anything else you'd like to highlight <laughs> that uh, you are hoping to vote for i would like to vote <clears throat> excuse me um, for uh, civil liberties, I would like to undo some of the legislation that has gone through Congress um, on um, taking away our rights. So is it safe to say the this most like recent Protect America Act would not have gotten your vote? It would not have. 
Um, I would like to do uh, see that we do something about Guantanamo Bay. I think that place needs to be shut down. Um, so some of that kind of legislation I would like to latch on to. And I want to do something about the Free Trade Acts, the, the Captain Naft and all of these bills that have been put We should through. have talked about that earlier in we the program because this is obviously very important here in a manufacturing Absolutely. heavy state like Indiana. Absolutely. Do you, do you, do you think that, that the Free Trade Acts have been themselves responsible for the decline in manufacturing jobs in the state of Indiana? I think in large part they have been because they've made it um, – they made it so much easier for people to take their businesses overseas and to hire people who don't make very much money um, with no regulations whatsoever. And so it's just this free trade back and forth and the American worker gets really knocked out. Knocked so, out so, so what do you propose doing? Uh, obviously, some folks have just said keep NAFTA and CAFTA but better enforce uh, trade regulations that are already on the books or would you just look at repealing those agreements? I think um, – I, you know, obviously, one would like to just repeal them or not repeal them but it would like to enforce them. But my problem with that is who is in, who's doing the enforcing? You know, it, it depends on which president gets in and who's going to be doing the enforcing and how strictly they're going to be enforcing them. So I think maybe repealing them might be the best way to go and then start from ground zero. I'm willing to look at both sides, but I think repealing is probably the more useful thing to do. Well, just in our last 90 seconds or so, walk me through your approach to the campaign leading up to May 6th. My approach? Mm -hmm. My approach is to get out as, as, to see and meet as many people as I possibly can. Where are you going to be? I am heading down to um, Floyd County pretty soon. There, they have the chicken, uh, fish fry dinners that I will be attending. I'll be eating lots and lots and lots of good food. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're going to have some radio ads shortly. Um, we are, um, you know, I've got every weekend scheduled uh, from here until May sixth. So it's kind of it's it's a blast. I tell you, it's it's and knocking on doors. I one of my favorite things to do is to meet people and knock on their doors and I discover that they're just amazingly nice people out there. And of course, what's on the back, mind, back of every Hoosier's mind right now is the fact that uh, the Indiana primary, at least in the presidential side, at least on the Democratic side, could actually be meaningful for the first time in a couple of decades here. Are you expecting some record turnout? I am so excited that we actually may have an impact on this presidential election. And I think we will have record turnout and that makes me extremely happy. Well, we look forward to seeing what happens. Gretchen Clearwater, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure. This has been a Noon Edition here on WFIU. I'm Adam Ragusi. I was uh, sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg and Mary Catherine Carmichael. We expect them both to be back next week when we're going to be talking to uh, the directors of two animal shelters here in the WFIU listening area from the Bloomington Animal Shelter and also from the Columbus Animal Shelter. We'll be talking about issues related there, too. For producer Colin Bishop and engineer Mike Paskash, thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.